It's sweet to see the kids going out for the children's sermon, and I thank the teachers who help lead them. Thank you for serving in that way. <clears throat> we come now to John chapter 6. I don't know if one is supposed to have a favorite chapter in Scripture. Just don't know. But if one is allowed, this is one of mine. This chapter has been so foundational for me and my personal walk with Jesus as it has opened up for me the, the, the power, <laughs> the truth of God's sovereignty and the breadth of His grace. Um, as we decided to preach through John's gospel account, I had a mental note in my head of this date on the calendar. As we opened up this chapter, as, um, as we see today that Jesus provides the bread, and as we continue to see in this chapter over the coming weeks that Jesus not only provides the bread, He is the bread. This miracle that we come to today, John 6, 1 through 15, is, is the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospel accounts. And as such, it well to pay attention to what it tells us about, about Jesus. If you prepare to, to look here, let me ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of this word. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this text, we praise you for your word. We praise you for this word. We praise you for what it tells us about Jesus. And so I pray, asking that you would... You would awaken our hearts to see the power, the love, the grace of our Savior. Do this we ask in His name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and the infallible Word of God. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus says, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
perceiving then that they were about to come and, and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Our family moved to Trustful in August of 2012. 2011, sorry. August 2011. Which means we missed what many of you experienced in April of 2011. And so when I woke up in January of 2012 to a tornado, it was a new experience for me. Uh, I remember going out to check on some people that we knew. And as I got to this this particular area of town uh, down Deerfoot Parkway over by Pilgrim's Rest, I, I remember just being overwhelmed <laughs> by the destruction, overwhelmed by the need, not having any idea where to start. Have you experienced that in April 11? I saw it in January of 12. But you know, whether it's a tornado, a natural disaster or some other event. We all know what it is to be overwhelmed by the magnitude of need. To, to see the need and to be tangibly aware of our limited ability to meet that need. Do you know what that's like? Because scarcity is a reality of the fall more than just cleaning up after tornadoes. You know what it's like to look at the bills each month and wonder, where is it going to come from? You know what it's like to look at the workload, the task list in, in front of you and wonder, how, how can anyone accomplish all of this? We all have those moments where we see the need before us, we, we know the reality of our own ability, and we're tempted to just walk away. Have you ever had one of those times when you've been asked to forgive? And the offense just seems too much. You couldn't possibly be expected to reconcile with this other person when the hurt runs that deep. Again, when confronted with that, that need to forgive this great offense, once again, we're tempted to simply wipe our hands and walk away. We size up situations, whatever the situation may be. And whether that situation is situation concerning financial resources, material availability, or just grace. We're confronted with the reality of scarcity. Sometimes it's a limit of resources. Sometimes it's a limit of our own grace. But regardless, we tend to look on those situations through the lens of our own ability, through the lens of our own resources through the lens of our own strength. John 6 gives us another one of those scenarios where there is great need and scarce resources. 
John 6, we see the disconnect between the way Jesus perceived the situation and the way the disciples perceived it. The disciples saw the need, and in seeing the need, they focused on the limits. This chapter uh, begins some unknown time after the action of John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we we saw Jesus heal the, the paralytic by the pool. And then he engaged in this confrontation with the religious leaders because how dare he, he, he performed that miracle on the Sabbath. It was a back and forth that, that we saw in, in John 5, but now some time has passed. And the crowds have continued to grow. Jesus' fame has, has grown. And so at this point, Jesus, he takes the disciples away for a retreat. They, they go across the sea. He, he gathers them along the, the hill, looking out over the, the Sea of Galilee. He sits them down to, to be with them, to, to, to teach. But, but as Jesus looks up, it's apparent for all... <laughs> They didn't get away quite like they had hoped. <laughs> he sees the crowds coming. He saw them. And he looked upon them with loving eyes. He turns to Philip. Philip's the local boy. He, Philip grew up in Bethsaida, close to these parts. So he's the tour guide of sorts for the group here in this area. He asked Philip, where are we to go and buy bread so that these people can eat. Jesus, he sized up the situation. He saw a need and sought to fulfill it. Philip, he also sized up the situation. And essentially said, Jesus, are you kidding? 200 denarii wouldn't be enough to buy them bread. A denarii was, was the equivalent of an average day's wage. So Philip's saying eight months of income ain't going to be enough to feed these people. Jesus, what you're asking is impossible. Andrew comes up. And, and at first glance, it looks like Andrew has a different perspective on it. Because he brings up a boy with, with five loaves and, and two fishes. He brings a boy with food. But then... His words reveal that he's viewing this situation the same way that Philip was. Five loaves, two fish, but what are they for so many? It's two different perspectives. The perspective of Jesus, the perspective of the disciples. It's the same scene, though. And the contrast between them is striking. Philip and Andrew... They, they don't see it. They question, they challenge, but Jesus is not anxious. He remains calm. <laughs> he gathers people. He didn't walk away from their need. Instead, he engaged in it. He engaged them, in fact, by entering into the need. Begs a question for us. <clears throat> Do we see what is? Or do we see with eyes of faith? 
through trust and faith. Some of us, maybe many of us, uh, by nature are, are realists. At least that's the term we use, realists. It comes out a lot more like pessimists. <laughs> the, the glass is, is half empty continually. <laughs> Others of us, maybe by nature, are optimists. There's one sip left in that glass, but we see it as, as half full We see it overflowing. We're always optimistic about what's in front of us. But is that what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples? Just be more optimistic about your chances? No. No. Jesus is not calling the disciples to be optimists. He's calling them to trust in faith. He's calling them to trust in Him, in His Word, in faith. He's about to show them why. Andrew's question, Philip's statement, they're both a different version of how. How, Jesus, how are you going to do this? He doesn't answer the question, how. Simply thank the Lord. He thanked the Lord for what to them and to us seems like a paltry amount of food. And then thanking the Lord, he provided abundant solution this is this is a a miraculous account jesus multiplied a small amount of food to feed many but but let's see the extent of this miracle the text tells us it's five loaves and and two fish but how much food was that i don't know about your family what kind of bread do you buy at the grocery store we buy white wheat loaf actually we maybe used to buy white wheat loaf Um, but our family is beginning to dwindle in size (laughs) it's dwindled over the past couple of years it seems to dwindle by the day here lately and a white wheat loaf just lasts us longer than it's going to stay fresh i've looked around and 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 i found the coolest thing you know they'll sell a half loaf you buy a half loaf, which is beginning to fit our family a little bit more appropriately. So which is it? What kind of loaf does this boy have? If he's got five white wheat loaves, it's, it, it's still a miracle. But we start trying to decipher in our head. We try, start trying to make that math work. You know, if, you, if, you, if you dole out the pieces just enough, maybe everybody can get a little bit. Or, or is it a half loaf? No, the, the word loaf is deceiving here. This is not a loaf the way we think of it. It's a size of a pancake the fish it's a pickled fish something along the lines of what we think of in a sardine can the boy's got five pancakes and two sardines he's got enough merely for himself Jesus told the disciples have the people sit down have them Get ready. He was about to miraculously provide. And, and that, that miracle, it speaks to his power, but it also speaks to his heart. First, his power. Let me ask you a question. You take five pancakes and two sardines and feed 5,000 people? How about 5,000 men plus some unknown number of 
women and children. No. No, you can't do that. And that's the point. This is a miracle, a miracle of God. It's not a sleight of hand trick. It's supernatural. And that's the point. Only God can do this. Jesus fed the multitude with this boy's lunch is a miracle. And it is a miracle that that puts the power of God on display for all to see. Only God could do this, but there's more. Only God could do this, but God did this. God chose to reveal His power in the person of Jesus by caring for His people. If you think about it, if God's desire is to show His power, there are any number of ways He could do it. Jesus could have flexed His muscles. He could have, he could have lifted a boulder. And it would have shown his power. But that's not how Jesus showed his power that day. He didn't perform a superhuman feat of strength. No, he cared for the crowd that was in need. He fed people. I I don't know about you, but my heart needs to see this. That in this miracle is not just Jesus' power that's on display. It's also his heart's. Yes, yes, we need to know that Jesus is mighty. But we need to know that he's loving. Jesus looked on the people, remained calm, he gathered them, and he cared. He cared for them. And he did so in abundance. Verses 12 and 13 tells it. Uh, Jesus told the disciples to go out and gather the, the leftovers. I, I don't think that this is some moralistic, moralistic lesson teaching us to, to uh, be conservationist and to recycle. That, those are good things. But that's not the point here. Jesus gathers up the leftovers and there's 12 basketfuls. There's more at the end than there was at the beginning. This is the exclamation point on the miracle. Jesus provided in abundance. Philip was concerned about the people getting just a little. Philip was concerned, will they get a nibble? (laughs) Jesus gave them as much as they wanted. There were leftovers. I'm reminded as a child I used to go to my it wasn't just a child, it was an adult too. I'd go to my grandmother's and she'd cook this feast and she kept force feeding seconds and thirds. And there was this smile on her first because on her face because Mamma loved to cook for people who loved to eat. It was her joy to provide an abundance. Do you see? Do you see Jesus' joy in providing abundance for the people? Jeremiah 31, 14, the Lord our God says, My people shall be satisfied with my goodness. This is a miracle with an abundance of power, an abundance of grace. And so are you satisfied? Are you satisfied in Jesus? This is a beautiful miracle. 
don't miss this. The miracle is a sign. Here's the difference. Miracle's power. The sign points. The sign points to something that we need to know about Jesus. John presents the signs so that we can see and know and believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. The miraculous provision points to his identity in that way. But it also points to his gracious and loving care. As as the marker of his character. And through this sign, Jesus is teaching. So what are the lessons? Learned and even the lessons that are being learned. Both for the disciples and for us. Early in the passage, Jesus, he, he asked Philip a question. It was a question meant to test, as the text tells us. How would Jesus test? Jesus doesn't test Philip to show his failure and shame him. That's what the adversary does. That's what the enemy does. The enemy tests in order to shame us. Jesus does not shame the disciples. Jesus is testing to draw him out, to show him his love, to invite him into this lesson experientially. Jesus is not testing to shame. Jesus is testing to display his glory and his grace and to draw the disciples into this ministry. Jesus knew what he was going to do. The text told us that. Drew the disciples into this lesson. What do you think these men needed to learn? Next book of the Bible. It's the book of Acts. Acts tells us what they needed to learn. Jesus was sending these 12 men out into the world to plant the worldwide church. You talk about a disconnect between need and ability. Nothing in these disciples, nothing in their past history gives us any confidence that they are up to that task. Jesus is preparing them to go do the impossible. And to do that, they didn't need realism. And they sure didn't need optimism. They needed eyes of faith. To trust in Him. And in this testing, He's giving them that gift. Faith. Maybe, also, in the testing, he's meaning to teach them something about caring. Would they care? When they saw the crowds, would they care about them or would they simply move on? There is, maybe not the primary point of this text, but there is an element of modeling that is going on here. I've got a friend who speaks of us being radiant Christians. To be a radiant Christian is to radiate outward the love and mercy of God. If we are to be radiant Christians, we must be lavish with the love and the mercy that we extend, the love and mercy that we show to others. Jesus is drawing that out in the disciples, and I believe 
in us. But as much as they needed preparation for this mission he's going to send them on, they also needed encouragement. And Jesus is encouraging the disciples here. He's encouraging them again and us by this abundant display of power, abundant display of grace. If those are lessons for the disciples, what about us? What are we learning in this text? I I thought about that this week. And and so I, I asked myself a series of three questions, three questions that I offer to you and, and want to encourage you to, to reflect on them. They're, they're questions to help us understand what is going on in this text, what lessons we're to learn in this text, but not just this one. Any passage of Scripture, if you're a note taker, and I know some of you are, write these questions down and go back and ask them yourself later. That's your homework today. I'll give you my answers. First question, I ask myself, Father, what are you teaching me about Jesus in this text? What are you teaching about my Savior? Well, he's powerful. He's wise. He's loving. He's abundant. He's supernatural, which means that he is God, God the Son. Father's teaching me that Jesus will provide for me, and he will do so on his timetable. His timetable. And that has the the effect of reinforcing both his care and my dependence. This text tells me that Jesus will draw me deeper into relationship with him, will draw me deeper into wisdom. We we see that as, as this chapter will continue to unfold for us. And he'll do that, drawing me deeper into relation. When I say me, I mean us. He'll draw us deeper into relationship and wisdom through his provision, whether that be a material provision or otherwise. That means he doesn't stop with the giving of bread. And yet he does give bread. Second question, what does this passage expose in me? If I'm going to give the word of God access to my heart, I've got to ask, what is this text drawing out of me as I read it? Who do I relate to here? Let me give you a hint. It's not Jesus. What is this text exposing in me? Well, on the one hand, I am too quick to write this miracle off as a past tense event. In other words, Jesus can do it, but he probably won't again. You see, like the disciples, I tend to look with realistic eyes rather than eyes of faith. So I wonder for myself and maybe for us, church, the body of Christ, what does it really mean for us to embrace a core value of faith? What does it mean for us to be people of faith? This text is drawing that out in me, but on the other hand, this passage is exposing my own desire for bread. I want bread and I want a lot of it. 
why did the people come? Well, verse 2 tells us why the crowd came. Because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. That little line at the beginning of this passage, it's a foreshadowing. Because Jesus is going to tell us later in John 6 that what the people wanted when they came to him was they wanted lunch. The people then and I now have a tendency to want Jesus for what he can give me rather than to want Jesus for Jesus. It's in me too. And so Jesus continues to teach me through this text that he's enough. Jesus is enough. You and I need to know that. Let this, this exposing draw out that need and that reality for us in this text. So the third question is this. Jesus, what are you promising in this text? Jesus is promising that his care is abundant. His heart is abundant. His power is abundant. Jesus, you saw the crowd. You saw their, their vast number and you even knew their heart. You told me that back in John chapter 2, that you know what's in the heart of man. You need no one to testify to you. So you knew their mixed up motives. You know my mixed up motives. You know that sometimes I want bread more than I want you and yet you provided. Jesus, you didn't give that crowd what they deserved. Praise the Lord, you gave them grace because you are a God of grace. Friends, when we see that in the text, when we see that the text is teaching us that about Jesus, then we know this. That you see me. You know my mixed motivations. You know my sin struggles. You know my tendencies. And I don't have to Though that may or may not mean that I will get abundant bread, it does mean that I will get Jesus in abundance. <laughs> I, we, will get the grace and forgiveness that he so freely offers in abundance. Those are some of the lessons learned and being learned. Some. In this story, you're already learning it. Some will later learn it. And sadly, some later in this chapter will leave because they don't like what Jesus is selling. At any rate, here in this text, we have indication that there is still much about Jesus that they didn't yet grab. Early in the text, almost as a throwaway, we read that it's the time of the Passover. It's the second Passover in John's gospel account. And on one hand, that gives us a bit of a time marker, but it's there to do more than give a time marker. Because you see, at the time of the Passover, their patriotic fervor was heightened. 
They remembered God's redemption from slavery in Egypt. They remember when he used Moses to free them from from Pharaoh's grasp in Egypt. And and so now as they celebrate the Passover, this, this desire for another redeemer to come and free them from the oppression of the Romans is heightened. They're looking for one like Moses who would come. You see, they knew that in Deuteronomy 18, When Moses promises that the Lord would raise up another prophet like him, they knew that that was messianic, but they didn't know what form the Messiah would take. They were looking for a military conqueror, a king, a hero. Little did they know that Jesus refused to get swept up in all of that because he was not that kind of king. They didn't grasp that he was different. He was far better. When we, you and I today, reflect personally on the lessons learned, we've got to see that we connect with the people more than Jesus. It exposes within us the ways in which we fall short, the ways in which we are looking for a military conqueror. We're looking for a political solution. We're looking for someone who will free us from the stuff out there. He came for what's in here. We see the ways we fall short and just want bread in all its form rather than Jesus, the giver of life. We see our brokenness, at least most of us do if we're honest. If you don't, then I encourage you to look again with greater honesty. It is because of that brokenness, those failures, what the Bible calls sin, that Jesus came to become our sacrifice and to give us life. To receive that life, we don't need realism, we don't need optimism, we need faith. And faith alone. Faith to believe and trust that Jesus can and will give us life. Because he's already done it. He's already completed it on the cross. We need those reminders. And that quite possibly is the very heart of this text. We also need to know and live into the truth that our God is abundant and can work in us and through us in ways that we cannot imagine. Not because we have the strength and the power, but because he does. There's much to take away in this text about the abundance of Christ, this call to look on faith, and also to act in faith. You may or may not know um, that our community has lost one of the fathers of the faith over the past couple of weeks. Um, Frank Barker, founder of and uh, planter at Briarwood. Christian Church passed away last week. Just yesterday was his memorial service. If you didn't see it, uh, there's a link to the live stream on the Briarwood website. And I want to encourage you to take an hour and watch that service because it will be worshipful for you. Um, One of the great blessings that I've had over the past 10 years was to get to know Frank. Um, much has been made 
about him, and the point is not to preach a sermon about Frank. That would be uh, to dishonor uh, his memory. Um, the point I want to draw out is that if you didn't know him, you might know of the ministry of this massive church, and you might try and fill in some gaps in your mind of what kind of charismatic, gifted personality it took to build that church. And if that's where you go, you didn't know Frank. He was one of the most deeply humble men I've ever known. He was simple. He's not going to wow you with his sermons. But he depended upon the Lord in prayer, and he saw with eyes of faith. And the Lord did much with a meager offering. What we're here is part of that multiplication that the Lord continues to do. You see, this miracle is not merely past tense. Takeaway is not go be frank. The takeaway is have eyes of faith. Have eyes of faith and trust in the heart of our Savior that He still works in humble servants first and then through humble servants to multiply. And it's all, all to His glory. Father, give us eyes of faith. We are humble, meager servants at best. You know it as well as we do. But we trust that you can make an impact in our own hearts with the gospel of grace. The good news of a Savior who came not to be a military conqueror but to be a sacrificial lamb because that's what we needed give us faith to see him and his work in us and give us faith to allow him to work through us that you may be glorified in Christ's name